0: Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a new weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. In this, our first episode, we talk with Matthew Wibbenmeyer, a fellow at RFF, about a topic that's been in the headlines in recent weeks, wildfire. I'll talk with Matt about the role that climate change and other factors play in the growing risk from wildfires to communities and ecosystems. We'll talk about the recent fires in California looking not only at their causes, but also how to mitigate their risk in the years and decades to come. Stay with us. Matthew Wibbenmeyer, thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. Thank you. So, Matt, we're going to talk today about wildfire and, um, in particular, some of the fires that have been Uh, burning in California in the last weeks and months. Mm -hmm. But before we get into talking about that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in environmental issues and wildfire in particular?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Western Oregon in Eugene, and my family spent a lot of time while I was growing up hiking and camping in the Cascades and the doug fir forests out there. And so Kind of an awareness of uh, forests and environmental issues was just part of how I grew up. Um, Also, while I was growing up, the controversy over the northern spotted owl was raging and particularly affected uh, western Oregon. Uh A lot of logging communities were in decline during that time. So that was part of my consciousness growing up. So that's kind of how I got uh, interested in environmental issues in general. And then wildfire in particular, I... First got involved with, well, I was uh, working in Missoula, Montana for the U.S. Forest Service uh, after college. Uh-huh. Um, I worked as a researcher focused on human dimensions of wildfire management with a forest service group there. Missoula is kind of a center of wildfire research for the Forest Service.
0: Right. Great yeah the northern spotted owl so i am sort of an energy and climate guy i'm a little bit out of my element today in our conversation um and uh that sounds like a, a, another potential podcast episode that we could talk about maybe oh yeah mm-hmm. great so so let's talk about wildfire and um and in particular what's been happening in california over the last few weeks just because um it's so top of mind for for many of us um Particularly the uh, the campfire, which uh, I checked earlier today, we're recording in late November, and the the numbers that I saw uh, suggested that the campfire had destroyed roughly thirteen thousand homes. Uh, over eighty people had been confirmed uh, killed in the fire, and and potentially more uh, coming in the future. Um, so this has been an enormous tragedy. And what I'm hoping you can do just to get us started is to maybe put the, this fire and, and this fire season in some perspective uh, for, for me, who's an expert, and, and for our listeners, uh, some historical context, both in terms of the geographic scale of the fire, so kind of the physical size of these fires, as well as uh, the human impact. So things like uh, fatalities and, and property destroyed.
1: Yeah. So I think it's important to note that the fires that we've seen in the last three years, including the Camp Fire in California, are part of a much longer uh, standing trend in wildfire activity over the past 30 or 40 years across the Western United States. Uh So over that period, there's been an increase in area burned by large wildfires and the number of large wildfires the area burned by large wildfires has increased by about 1,200 percent over that time. Over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah, exactly. And the number of large wildfires has increased by about 500 percent. So this is a a long-standing trend. Uh, but even accounting for that, uh, what California has seen in the last few years have been outside the outside the norm. Uh-huh. And that's uh, outside the norm in terms of structure losses fatalities, area burned. These fires have set records in in all of those uh, categories. Mm-hmm. You can think of uh, the Thomas Fire, which was California's largest fire ever, surpassed within a year by the Mendocino Complex Fire. Mm. The Camp Fire, last I saw, 88 fatalities. Probably, unfortunately, that number will go up. That's dramatically outside the norm. In the past, There have been wildfires that have caused fatalities. Uh, You can think of the tunnel fire in Oakland in 1991, for example. There were 25 fatalities in that fire. But for the most part, historically, wildfires have not been too costly in terms of fatalities. Where there were fatalities, they were often firefighters, wildland firefighters that that died. But it was uh, pretty unusual for quote-unquote civilians to be killed in these events. Yeah. Um, but what we're seeing now is with the speed that these fires are are moving in some cases, um, and that was the issue with the campfire, it's just uh, too fast for people to get out of the way and evacuate. Right. And uh, similarly for structure losses, these fires have been record setting in terms of structure losses. The campfire, you said, what, 11,000 homes? 13,000
0: 13, was the number that 13,000 homes,
1: yeah. okay. And I saw eighteen thousand structures total. So, that's a pretty dramatic record, I believe, for number of structures uh, destroyed.
0: And and you you answered part of this question in your uh, in in your run up to the answer to the previous question, but you know so these wildfires have become. You know, much more destructive in terms of their human impact, both lives lost uh, as well as property destroyed, particularly this year. But those other fires you mentioned, the Mendocino Complex and the Thomas fires, are these wildfires having a greater impact on communities and property because of differences in their size or differences in their intensity or speed, which you mentioned a moment ago, or differences in the uh, just simply the number of people exposed to these fires, people being out in the line of fire fire, if you will? Um, or is it some combination of all of these things? Or maybe this is you know something that's too difficult to tease out at this point?
1: I think it's some combination of all of those things. And what factor is important depends on the specific impact that you're looking at. So in the case of fatalities, the speed that these fires are moving is really the important thing. Mm-hmm. When fires are moving across the landscape at a slower speed, generally people can get out of the way and fatalities are avoided. In terms of structures destroyed, intensity is more important. Um, So when fires are burning with greater intensity, greater heat, it's harder for fire managers to uh, come in and prevent their spread. And speed is important there too. In terms of uh, impacts on air quality or impacts on watersheds, Uh, Area burned is really important in those cases, particularly when fires are burning with a high intensity and burning through a high uh, percentage of the vegetation in an area. Uh, So so in those cases, when the fire is burning a large area, it's putting more smoke into the atmosphere, it's harming a a greater portion of the watershed's landscape.
0: Okay, so we've got some context in place and I think some background in place as as to what's going on here let's talk a little bit about the contributing factors um, to these fires and um, to the to the campfire in particular or or you know you can talk as much about the campfire or other fires as you'd like. President Trump has cited poor forest management as the primary reason for these recent wildfires. Can you talk a little bit about what types of forest management are or aren't done in California and the United States and um, what role forest management generally plays in terms of managing wildfire?
1: Yeah. So first, I think it's important to say that forest management is only important for determining outcomes on wildfires uh, in forests. And wildfires don't only take place on forest land. They take place in uh, other uh, types of vegetation as well. The primary concern with forest management uh, is buildup of fuels over time. Uh, and this is particularly a concern in uh, particular kinds of Western forest types. So these are dry Western forests like ponderosa pine forests, mixed conifer forests, those types of mm-hmm. uh, forests. And historically, uh, in those forest types, you had sort of a, a mix of Uh, old growth forests and uh, younger forests, and there were more areas where older trees were uh, quite spaced out with sort of park-like settings with older trees and, and not very much fuel on the forest floor. Now, due in part to 100 years of wildfire suppression throughout the western U.S., Um, And in part, in some cases, to logging practices, clear-cut logging. Now you have areas where forests are very homogeneous um, and crowded with fuels. And so in these places, when fire starts, it spreads very quickly through these forests dense with fuels um, and it also spreads up into the forest canopy, where when these fires burn into the forest canopy, they burn with very high heat. And so they become much harder to control. Right. Um, so uh, there's definitely room in some places for forest management to improve some of those conditions. And that's something that forest managers um, think about. So one of the tools is what are called fuel treatments. Um, and these would be prescribed burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, So under favorable conditions, forest managers will uh, come in and and set uh, fires, uh, control their spread, and use those fires to uh, try to restore forest conditions so that when a fire does occur, it'll burn with lower intensity and will be easier to control.
0: So you mentioned 100 years of wildfire suppression, and how that may have contributed to the buildup of fuel on the forest floor. Can you talk a little bit about the decisions made either by public policymakers or maybe private landowners uh, on these types of wildfire suppression techniques over the last hundred years and um, sort of how they made those decisions, why they made those decisions, and and how it's contributed to the issue today?
1: Yeah. So since the beginning of the 20th century, sort of led by the U.S. Forest Service, we've viewed fire as a bad thing, a thing to control. You can think about Smokey the Bear here, only you can prevent forest fires. Fires were viewed as a negative, uh, hazardous phenomena. And uh, we didn't fully appreciate the ecological role that fire played and the consequences uh, to the landscape of uh, just excluding fire. And so what's happened as we've excluded fire is as I mentioned, these forests have become uh, just uh, dense and crowded with fuels. And so it turns out it's pretty impossible to exclude fire completely from the landscape. And so now when these inevitable ignitions do occur, in part because of forest conditions, they're becoming much more dangerous and harder to control.
0: Right. So we've talked a little bit about forest management, um, but my hunch is that forest management is not the uh, the full story here. So what about uh, the role of climate change? Uh, how might climate change be affecting uh, these wildfires that we're seeing today and, and maybe even uh, over the next couple of decades?
1: Yeah. So climate is a really important driver of these really extreme fires that we've seen in California, especially in the last uh, three years. As I mentioned, Forest management is really only a factor can really only be a factor in forests, and some of these fires uh, in California are not just taking place on in forests. Right. They're taking place in Southern California shrublands, chaparral, etc., or even on grasslands. One study found that area burned beginning in 1984 to 2015 nearly uh, doubled specifically due to anthropogenic climate change. Uh, So climate has been a really important driver of this increase in wildfire conditions. Okay. Um, There are a couple of explanations. So one important explanation is just the lengthening of the fire season. We're getting earlier springs that lead to fuels drying out by the heart of the fire season. Fuels are, are warmer since snowmelt has melted away earlier. Also, fire seasons are, are running into later in the fall or even the winter In some cases, the Thomas fire last year in Southern California was in December. And so with these fire seasons, uh, especially in California, stretching into the late fall or winter, now they're coinciding with the Santa Ana wind seasons uh, where winds blow from inland toward the ocean, uh, which has really led to some of these devastating and, and fast moving fires.
0: Are, are the timing of those winds pretty consistent on an annual basis? Are they affected by climate change, or is it just the um, the the length of the fire season itself that's affected?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. I'm not totally sure. I think they they tend to take place between sort of mid to late fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So
0: so those are two important factors that have contributed to both the magnitude of the fire, the intensity of the fire, and and the human impacts. But when we think about human impacts, uh, we also have to think about the growth of human development into uh, more rural areas, maybe more wooded areas. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the role that that human development has played in increasing the risk that people might face uh, from these fires?
1: Yeah, so... Anytime there's damage from a wildfire event, it really generally happens because people are in places where hazard exists. So there's a famous quote by a man named Gilbert White, who was known as the father of floodplain management. Um, And it goes, floods are acts of God, but flood losses are largely acts of man. Uh Um, So anytime there are... Uh, consequences of a hazard event, it's because people have, for whatever uh, reason, placed themselves in, in a hazardous situation. So in the case of wildfire, most of the losses to uh, wildfire take place in what we call the wildland-urban interface. And these are areas where there's vegetation and where there's human development. And these are the places where most of the losses in wildfire events take place. One study found that 69% of structure losses in fires takes place in this, uh, what people refer to as the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface. Uh So in general the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface, is growing, has been growing over time as more people sort of push away from urban centers and into some of these wilder places where there's vegetation. Um, So between 1990 and 2010, there's been about 40% increase in number of houses in the Wildland Urban Interface in the U.S. And uh, even despite that growth, only 14% of potentially developed area in the WUI uh, has yet been developed. Uh So there's... Still quite a bit of room for growth there. As people move into these areas, there's more potential for damages, and there's also actually more potential for fire. Nationwide, the majority of wildfires are human-caused, and so as more people live in these areas, we tend to see more ignitions and and more potential for um, some of these events.
0: Right. So sort of compounding the risk.
1: Yeah. But I would say that the growth of the the wildland-urban interface has been sort of steady over time. And what we've seen in the last three years in California was a really dramatic change in the losses due to these wildfire events. And so I think given the dramatic spike in those losses, it's probably better attributed to climatic factors rather than growth in risk exposure over time.
0: Right. And so it sounds like of the three main contributing factors that we talked about, um, forest management, climate change, and uh, human development... Climate change is the largest contributing factor. You you would say
1: I would say yeah yeah.
0: Okay, um, I wish I had known that you were going to use the acronym WUI. I would have asked you about human development early on, so we could say WUI more often in our <laughs> conversation. Um, but uh, so so we've talked a little bit about contributing factors to to these fires and their impacts. Let's think a little bit uh, a little bit now about potential ways that communities and policymakers can manage some of these risks going forward. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the more cost-effective strategies might be in minimizing risks to uh, human property and, and, of course, human lives? And I imagine there's a really difficult calculation that you would need to make to try to figure out what is the right combination of spending that you would want to do on forest management, uh, compared with climate change mitigation, compared with community planning, particularly since climate change is a global problem that can't simply be you know solved by the, the actions of, of one county or even one
1: state. So I think all of those three areas you mentioned are important. Climate change mitigation has many other benefits, but it will not directly or very quickly address wildfire hazard. Right. Um, So it might be uh, worth pursuing in its own right, but in terms of quickly reducing wildfire risk is not the most direct path. Um, Forest restoration as well um, is very important in some cases, as I mentioned, uh, in some places particularly these dry Western forests um, that are uh, very different now than they have been. And and so uh, conditions for fire are quite different. The challenge with forest restoration is that so much of the Western United States and these forest types is in need of restoration. So this is a really large scale problem. And Right now, federal budgets on this uh, federal forest land are just not at the level that would be needed to address this issue in those forests. So in order to really tackle uh, broad-scale forest restoration, uh, what would be needed is, is either to expand those budgets or to come up with profitable ways for the private sector to get involved. And so logging has been suggested in some cases, I think there are forms of that that can be helpful generally uh, the science indicates that um, conventional logging practices clear-cut logging intensive plantation style logging is is not beneficial for reducing wildfire risk as intuitive as it as it might seem um actually uh, logging in some cases can increase wildfire risk. So what's, what's needed is uh, forest management or forest restoration strategies that are particularly aimed at uh, reducing fuel loads in the forest. So clearing out some of the small diameter timber that's fueling some of these high intensity fires.
0: How feasible is that at scale? Uh, with the resources that are available? Is, you know, doing, applying those management techniques to, to large areas of, of land in central and northern California, say, is that something that is uh, realistic with, you know, existing federal budget constraints?
1: So I think it hasn't been yet. But in the future, some kind of, some kind of economically viable forest restoration strategy would, would have to be the approach to, to get this done at a large scale.
0: So bringing in the private sector. Yeah. Yeah. So the last question I want to ask about implications and, and potential policy issues going forward is, uh, of these three issues, as someone who works on energy and climate change, it's it's fairly easy for me to imagine what types of climate policy levers we might choose to deal with climate change. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what policy measures we might use to deal with forest management issues. We haven't talked about what policy levers might be available to mitigate risk for communities in fire prone regions. Um, Could you talk about those a little bit?
1: Yeah. So community planning is another important area uh, and probably the most direct way that communities can reduce risk from wildfires uh, in the short term. So this is making sure that communities are laid out in ways uh, that minimize wildfire risk so that homes are located in locations across the landscape and relative to one another in ways that uh, minimize risk and making sure that homes are built in ways that uh, minimize wildfire risk so that uh, roofs and siding are fire-resistant and that homeowners have done things like clear brush away from their home uh, and other vegetation and that they've secured their home so that embers can't fly in under the under the roof eaves and, and those sorts of things. That can be encouraged through planning laws, building codes, things like that. One of the challenges, though, is in terms of making sure people are choosing to live in locations where uh, wildfire risk is low is that people tend to actually like to live in these places where wildfire risk is high. They like living uh, in mountainous areas. They like living amongst uh, trees with vegetation nearby and shade. And these are exactly the things in these fire prone regions that create wildfire risk. And so really what's needed is incentives for homeowners and communities uh, to uh, specifically do these things that minimize wildfire risk to maybe to not live in such hazardous locations um, and to plan their communities in ways that will uh, reduce hazards
0: all right well that all makes sense and um we're going to close it out today, as we always do with our guests, by asking you about uh, what is at the top of your metaphorical reading stack, or perhaps your literal reading stack. Um, so so Matt, what have you read or watched or heard recently related to energy and the environment that you think is really interesting and that you'd recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah, so something came across my Twitter feed this morning, which is not super recent, but um, I found it uh, really interesting so wired magazine had a write-up of some research that's come out of the forest service in the past uh, few years focusing on some uh, on the health benefits of forests so one of the uh, ecosystem services forests provide is they help clean the air um, and remove pollutants from the atmosphere uh, so this is something that we that we know about forests but it's a little bit hard to estimate what are the What are precisely the benefits Uh uh, that forests provide in terms of this? So what these Forest Service researchers did was they used large-scale tree diebacks due to pests. And after these large-scale tree diebacks, they were able to link uh, changes in atmospheric pollution to these diebacks and then link that to health consequences. Mm. And so what they were able to find is that in one study, counties with emerald ash borer um, which is a, a tree pest, had an additional 6.8 deaths per year due to respiratory disease, um, an additional 17 deaths due to cardiovascular disease. Um, so I just thought this was a really interesting way of using some of these changes in forests to actually look at what what are the benefits that these forests do provide in terms of health.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Can you tell us who the authors were or what the source of the Wired article is so people yeah, can so go find it? Yeah, so
1: this was a... The study I just mentioned about emerald ash borer, that was a, a study by Jeff Donovan. Um, another uh, Forest Service author writing in this area is uh, Greg McPherson.
0: Great. So people can go check out those studies and, and, and see the effects for themselves. Fantastic. Uh, Matt Wibbenmeyer, thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. I've really enjoyed the discussion. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us on Resources Radio. We'd love to hear what you think, so please rate us on iTunes or leave us a review. It helps us spread the word. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of Resources for the Future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. Resources Radio is produced by Kate Peterson, with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.